Ready, set, imagine. Welcome back to the Creative Poisson podcast. It's a new year and new time for stories. I'm Jerry Campbell-Clark, math teacher by day, acting student by night, and this month your host for January that inaugurates season two of the Creative Poisson podcast dedicated to the themes of storytelling. January is our warm-up series in the midst of this very volatile ice-cold winter. February will be even hotter as Creative Poisson will be romantically falling in love with the storytelling of eroticism and romance. March will be on stage, exploring the world of theater and of Broadway's musicals. Today we are here with artistic director Tommaso Cartia, editor-in-chief of the Storytelier session, which is the editorial soul of Creative Poisson for the Creative Being episode. We'll talk about the past, present, and future of storytelling to see how it is evolving. Also, we'll introduce the creative storytelling training run by Tommaso, which Creative Poisson will soon be activating. Alongside with its podcasting training, welcome Tommaso. Hi, welcome everybody. Hello, Jerry. Thank you for the introduction and ready, set, imagine. I'm very happy to be here with you and happy to be once again in the privileged position of having a channel at my disposal to tell stories speak up my mind and hopefully being inspiring for uh, the audience that's listening to us. And thank you. Yes, it's definitely a, a privileged position for me as well and not something that I take for granted. It's also something that I'm sure some people who might have access to this kind of communicative power might underestimate, right? Yes, absolutely. Actually, when I was uh, preparing for this, uh, this episode, I couldn't help but wonder how incredibly honored and humble one should feel mm -hmm. To stand in front of a mic, a camera, a pen. reflecting on how, how the art of storytelling transformed through times, trying to go back also on the first instinct that ever brought me to raise a pen to organize or disorganize the world in front of me in the form of stories. And actually, I've realized that if into, in 2020 we sit here together, Jerry, today, to tell each other stories, whether it is the simple story of, like, how was your day? or the story of your life, that means that we are not that different from Primitive men power. who felt the need to carve on the walls of their caves the graffiti of their everyday life story. Like, you know, going, going out hunting a buffalo in the woods and come back with a trophy. So I'm asking myself, and then to you, Joey, and to uh, our audience today, what do you think that, um, how do you think that we are still in need to tell that story of going out hunting a buffalo and come back with a trophy? What are our modern versions of hunting buffaloes and what's our contemporary trophies? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I think um, my literal reaction to that is first thinking of my dad who used to hunt when I was growing up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and it's, so it's not like something that we needed to do mm -hmm. to survive, but it was something that he and my family had done as sort of a tradition, and I'm sure that stemmed from some time it was a matter of survival. Um, but what I definitely remember about it was that my, my dad never treated the, the, the deer as a trophy when he brought it home. It was, it was much more about talking about how he found the deer or how you know they set up that day, what they had for breakfast or lunch, any kind of stories that came about if someone did something funny or if someone told like a silly joke mm -hmm. that that was more so what my dad brought home from the experience mm -hmm. 
rather than actually, you know, being proud of the actual deer. Yeah. So it was the experience, the story. Exactly. Of what happened. Yes. And it sort of evolved once he came home then because it was then, well, how was it prepared? Because we definitely used to prepare food with venison and, you know, he very much um, put an importance on using it and not just hunting for sport, um, that it was actually something that was useful and that we could enjoy as a family. And I right. think that that's overall, he enjoyed the whole story of hunting rather than just the actual hunting. hunting. Well, that's very just, interesting, you know, because I thought about uh, this, this metaphor of the primitive man hunting uh, the buffaloes as I was reading this uh, very clever article on The New Yorker by Adam Gopnik, who talks about the discovery of the very first uh, storytelling picture. So basically, in a cave in Indonesia, occupied more than 40,000 years ago by early modern humans, was found a 14 and a, and a half foot wide image painted in dark red pigment, uh, depicting about 80 tiny bipedal figures uh, bearing what looked to be spares and ropes and bravely hunting the local wild pigs and buffalo. Uh, a team of archaeologists at the Griffith University in Australia call it, uh, to our knowledge, currently the oldest pictorial recording of storytelling and the earliest figurative artwork in the world. Wow, I find it so very interesting, thinking that uh, it's not at all dissimilar to the instinct that brought me, uh, you know, to shoot, for example, a video the other night as I was watching a performance and posted it on my Instagram stories, you know? What do you think about it, Jerry? I think they're very, they're two similar acts in a way. Yeah, you're talking about after you saw Slave Play, right? Yes, we saw Slave Play. It was wonderful. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I wasn't able to see it, um, but from what you uh, have told me and from watching the video, it seemed... Um, you know, coming from the perspective of an interracial couple and mm -hmm. also, um, you know, same-sex couples, it seemed for the actor being involved that he never imagined that this kind of play could happen on Broadway. Yes, yes. He told that story basically at the end because it was closing night. So he recalled the story of uh, the journey of slave play from off of Broadway to uh, a stage on Broadway that usually it's not, uh, you know, uh, opened to this sort of like experimental uh, theater pieces. So, yeah, the storytelling was and, and is very, very rich and, and articulated and tells a lot of what I think it's. Uh, today's like uh, today's like um, you know uh, snapshot of uh, what what America is today. Yeah, know? yeah. I think the video you captured definitely emphasizes how it is so important for people to be able to tell their stories in the margins because that sort of visibility puts it out, and everybody more people can connect to it, and more people can relate to um, the art that's being put out there. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, another thing that grabbed my attention as, again, as I, w I sat down thinking about the themes for this, ep this episode was, uh, why do we use the term post, you know, in our contemporary lingo when, when we apply it to social media, um, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, do you know where the term post comes from? Um, I, I've never actually thought about it, right. and I, I think I'm just so used to seeing it all the time that it's, it's so interchangeably used to, to post something, and I don't know where that comes from. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I think when I was, I felt like, okay, now I want to go and understand why we use post, and then, of course, like, I went back to my studies because I did uh, Latin and Greek in my uh, classical studies in, in, in back in Italy, so I remember, like, very simply, actually, the term post comes from Latin. It's a prefix meaning behind, after, later, um, you know, like the postscript, 
that, that, right, right. that Latin terminology. Okay. So I thought, right, so what's the idea behind this? Um, it has to do with the preservation of memory, probably, something to remind us about the things we leave, something that comforts our fragile fear of losing things, losing memories, losing the people we love, losing the sense of why we are here on Earth, why we are leading the lives we are leading. So basically, leave something like, you know, to the future, posting something. Even though it's so sort of posting in terms of past tense, it's a snapshot of something that has happened and it's being recorded. Right. But then then that is accessible uh, infinitely in the future. Yes. So, yeah, I'm, yeah I think I'm, I'm understanding. Yes. Not on Instagram stories because it's 24 hours. We can save them. You <laughs> can archive right. them. That's right. Yeah. But it's, again, like it's the idea of archiving memories that I think it's embedded in our DNA. So I'm doing like, you know, understanding why in the, in, in the past, uh, present and future, I think human beings have always had this, uh, you know, need to archive their memories. Yes. So, like, we have this anxiety to give austerity, even, you know, the, the grocery shopping we did this morning. So I thought, all these posting sounds so incredibly human to me. Is it just fear? And since we live in a world where this posting has been pushed to its paroxysm, it's, it is massive and uncontrollable, like a, an avalanche, a stream of unconsciousness. Are we just even more fearful than before? Fearful to lose the sense of who we are and what this life is all about for us? Do we cover with Facebook and Instagram covers, actually, this cry for help? Are we crying out solitude in the center of Instagram? That's like something that, that popped into my mind, paraphrasing a title of a book that I really love from uh, Kyoshi Katayama. Uh, the title is Crying Out Love in the Center of the World. I don't know if you are familiar with this book. Uh, no, I haven't read that yet. Oh. No. Um, but yeah, I would... Um, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say that a post is necessarily a cry, because I guess that sounds mm -hmm. a little bit desperate. But um, right, right. the more that I think about it, I, I can I can relate to that, because I think... Um, I think for a while... But I know that it's not con a conscious cry, but maybe like it's... More you know, subconscious. More could be. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Just, mm. Well, I remember um, starting like doing online journaling when I was younger, mm -hmm. and I think at first it was because um, I wanted to do it for myself, and then I would share certain of those posts. Um, but I did have this sort of panicky sense of like I needed to record it so that I wouldn't lose that mm -hmm. thought or that idea, um, and I, I guess I had that um, use for it. But I think, you know, I've definitely used posts and I remember away messages on Instant Messenger as like, you know, cries for help. You know, it would say, you know, lyrics to a sad song and that was sort of a cry for help, you know. Right, um, right. Whether right. I, you know, acknowledged it or not. But um, yeah, and I think that is where posting can make things a little bit more vulnerable as well because you're putting yourself out there, you're trying to communicate um, and connect, and if it's not received well, well, what does that mean? And now with like being able to see how many times someone has viewed something or the number of likes, right. it definitely gives that, you know, I want to put myself out there, but when I do, what happens, and it's sort of a a scary... Yeah, because you can scrutinize. Yes. So it's an arena that's like a ferocious. Like Instagram is a little bit of a lonely place. So usually they influencers post pictures of themselves, right? The selfies are indeed, to me, sort of like self-portraits of some kind of isolation. Hmm. Probably we give our images and a few words to posterity. I've just realized that's the same thing we do on... Maybe that's too dark, but on the, on the <laughs> gravestones when people die. Just a picture and a short sentence, right? 
I don't know, but I think that there is nothing shocking to me to the fact that we do fear of dying in a way. So our dear stories, our lovely stories, what a tool of surviving, I would say, of investigating life, of realizing how human we are, or at least how human we should be. So I don't condemn the young influencers who simplify the storytelling art because they have an even more trepidant urgency to cry out louder existence in the, in the world we're living today. And then again, I thought, okay, so it is all excused or not? Should we distinguish from the teenager in a room posting on Instagram and the intellectuals, politicians, celebrities utilizing a channel to push their agendas? And is there a moral question arousing when people like us in this moment, Jerry, have the privilege to stand in front of an audience and, and say something? What do you think? Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind right now is just thinking about like internet trolls. Like we have a, mm. a, a, a name for that now I right. think, to help us better right. understand the fact that everyone does have a soapbox to stand on, whereas before, you know, that wasn't always the case. So I do think that there's an ethical conversation uh, to be had around all of this, um, because definitely whether we like it or not, um, it's everywhere and everyone has the ability to use it for either good or for bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be used to amplify certain stories more than others. Definitely. And that can be harmful. Well, you know, I do believe that communicators, artists, poets, teachers like you have a responsibility in what you're saying. Because one thing, of course, is crying out solitude in the center of Instagram. Another one is crying out racism, bully, bullying, gender violence, autarky and misleading or deceiving messages delivered with these tools of mass distraction. Yeah. I believe that as storytellers, we have a great power as well as a great responsibility. You know, I, in the Greek and, the, and in, the, in the Latin world, the, the caste of the philosophers, intellectual were leaders and a fundamental part of the politics of, of a city. And I would personally love to see them more in our society. I think we should listen more to the poets, to the artists, to their stories and to our inner stories. Because together with them, in our isolated dots, we could still create an unbreakable chain of affection and beauty that could save us a little bit from that overwhelming fear of disappearing from this world and maybe give something really unforgettable and beautiful to our posterity. I thought back of one of my favorite poets, who is Giuseppe Ungaretti, an Italian poet. Um, Are you familiar with this? With this point <laughs> no i'm not I know. Nope. <laughs> yeah because it's very it, you know it's part of italian literature very famous in italy but it wasn't that much uh internationally so actually right. what ungaretti says of the poet he says that it, the illuminated poet dives into a metaphorical buried harbor where all the mysteries of life lay and then he comes back to light with fragments of truth that he offers to us in his poems so I would love for you, Jerry, to recite this exact poem where uh, Ungaretti describes the activity of, the, of, of a poet, according to him. Yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to. The Buried Harbor. There comes the poet, and then back to light with his chants, and scatters them. Of this poem, that nothing remains to me of an inexhaustible secret. Beautiful, don't you think? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very beautiful. I love how it... Um, illuminates the poet's gift of bringing life's mysteries uh, to light in a very, it's a very um, evocative way. I love, I would love to hear you elaborate on that. Basically, Ungaretti validates the role of the poet in the society, as we said. The poet is the one who can unlock life's secrets and can share them with the world. Humbly, actually, I look after that definition of a, of a poet, wondering if that role could still be applied to a global, digitalized world. 
And then uh, a notion actually came back to me from, uh, from my studies. It's the Greek root of the term poetry. Uh, it comes from poieo, that literally means to do, to produce, and to create. So to me, it's very interesting to notice that something considered so ethereal, like poetry, comes from such a transitive, active verb. It is that soldiering activity of the poet that I would like to revive even in the society today. Because I believe that even an Instagram story is ultimately a story that we produce. Even creating a Facebook page is ultimately a creation. And even a tweet could make our voice rise above the indifference and declare what we believe in. And that is actually why I'm introducing uh, Instagram's storytelling, my training, that, as you said, Jerry, will be out soon on our Creative Poison platform. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, what can we anticipate from that? So I call it, uh, it's the creative storytelling, a journey to uh, your writer's voice. And it comes from my experience as first a scholar in the field of creative writing and communication. And then my actually 10 plus years of experience in the field. I've been out there enough, I've been writing out there enough, and I've tried many creative writing programs myself. Sometimes my writing skills have improved, sometimes not, sometimes my money were well spent, and sometimes not so much. I've come to the realization that uh, you can improve your writing techniques endlessly and still remain just an, an okay writer. You know, like, I didn't hear my voice resonating clearly out loud through my words until I made a journey back in time to the first instinct that ever brought me to raise my first pen to write down a story. And it goes back to our metaphor of the primitive graffiti in the cave. I don't want to teach strictly how to write, because also I don't think that that's possible for real, but I want to leave an experience uh, with, with the student into his writing self and lead uh, you to better understanding why you are uh, writing and what's your unique way of being a creative being. So the space, metaphorically, but also physically, that I, I will love my, my students to be in, uh, I call it a room of one's voice. That's like paraphrasing Virginia Woolf, a uh, room of one's own. So it would be a creative room where uh, you have the freedom to leave it uh, free of any preconceptions of writing and uh, of oneself. I propose a unique approach to creative storytelling at the intersection of writing, performing arts, and acting also. We go back to the basics of storytelling. And so my first, the first task would be me asking you, tell me a simple story. Just tell me a story. And I want to do this exercise right here with you, Jerry. <laughs> Why don't you tell me a simple story? The one that, you know, the first one that comes to your mind. Um, well, I can say just um, being in this neighborhood in Harlem, it just reminds me of... Uh, how I used to live not too far from here. I lived at 127th and 5th. Um, and I don't know of a good story other than, I mean, I used to, what I loved most about it was the food. Um, there was just always really good local food to get and it was always inexpensive. And especially being a young 22-year-old, when I moved to the city, I did not have much. So um, you know, that was something that I really loved about this neighborhood was that there was a lot of good food and it was an attainable for me at that time in my life. Right. It's wonderful. You know what? Like, I will uh, comment on your story because what I think that it's already a great story, even if it's very simple. And that's why Instagram stories or the way that we, you know, uh, concisely tell stories today uh, in fact, like I, I like to call my Instagram a storytelling like Insta haiku, like the mm -hmm. the, um, the Japanese poetry. 
Because basically, in this little story that you told me, you had a lot of things that really work. One is the memory. So one thing that a writer should preserve is his own memory and his feelings and go deep into that memory because there's a richness there. Um, that's a richness of storytelling. Then what I, what I loved about it was give uh, a visualization of something that is very concrete, like the food, mm -hmm. which is something that, you know, we all experience and that we all deal with. And so there's another second point that's very, that, that's great. And, and so that food uh, the, uh, symbolizes something for you at a specific moment in time. So I think that craft like the incipit of a good story, yeah. you know, because it can make the audience be immediately hooked to what you're saying because yes where there was a moment in time where we moved to a new city or to a new neighborhood and we experienced uh you know the neighborhood and the, in our own terms in the means that we had at that moment and then thinking back in time there's always a way to go and and organize or reorganize our world in forms of stories like i said at the beginning of this of this episode so i think it's great Thank you. I, You're welcome. I think how you <laughs> introduced it was really important to not think, because I think if someone said just right off the street, tell me a story, I would think of like maybe a story I've heard someone else tell or right. I don't know. Like, uh, so when you just said kind of there was no, um, I don't know, limitation or structure to it for sure. Yes. Like, so yes. it felt a little bit more freeing um, yeah. and a little bit more personal. Because I think that before adding the structure, because of course, like when you do uh, creative writing, there are structures that you can follow. There are, you know, they've been studied, so you can you can follow that you can follow that path as well, of course. But the primary thing is to discover what really do you wanna do you wanna talk about and what is mm -hmm. important to you, and find you, your unique approach to storytelling. And then the formulas of storytelling can be applied, like in mathematics. But uh, the instinct, it's the first and foremost important thing for a writer or a storyteller in general. That's my, my point of view. That's great. That's awesome. So, well. yeah, <laughs> all of that sounds great. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading more about the program, and um, please let us know when it's going to be out. Sure do. Um, I'm very glad we're starting this new year with these great stories. There is more to come this month as we conclude our January series with Creative Interview with Rafik Anadal. Mm -hmm. He's an incredible artist who uses data and technology in artistic ways, uh, which particularly appeal to me both as a mathematician and an actor. Mm -hmm. um, he's a Turkish media artist and director living in the United States, and he's working in the fields of site-specific public art with a parametric data sculpture approach and live audiovisual performance with immersive installation. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Particularly, his works explore the space among digital and physical entities um, by creating a hybrid relationship between architecture and media arts with machine intelligence. It all sounds so incredibly groundbreaking and creative. It was like really um, groundbreaking for me to meet this very young uh, artist, a genius, I would say. <laughs> And um, yes, we interviewed him in New York City uh, when his um, exhibition, um, Machine Hallucination, was on. And actually, it, it ends this month. So we're, gonna, uh, we're celebrating um, this great exhibition and this great artist with right our creative interview that ends our January series. Mm. Uh, for me, it's been such a pleasure being your host for this month. Uh, as a math teacher, as you can imagine, this is not something that I do very often. Um, it's a different experience for me and the exposure to this new medium of communication mm 
Um, I feel just very honored to have been part of the process and asked to be part of this podcast specifically. Um, I hope that it encourages others to be open to new and different experiences for themselves. That's my hope as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It has been such an amazing opportunity for me to be part of the Creative Bridge and Creative Being episodes. Thank you so much. I think it's um, so valuable that you're always looking for new and different perspectives from people with various professional backgrounds. Uh, This will only continue the conversation and open up more lines of communication for people to connect their businesses and creative sides. You know, something I think that I'll still be working on as a process. Thank you listeners for allowing me to be part of your story uh, by simply listening. Thank you. Many, many thanks to Daniela and you, Tommaso, for including me on your journey as you both... Thanks, Jerry. And grazie, as we say in Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So with that said, I know that you already have an amazing Mm -hmm. and exciting set list for February, right? Oh, yeah. Wow. So February is going to be explosive. (laughs) No, yeah, for real, because we didn't... uh, You know, we always out there looking for stories, and then, you know, sometimes we are more fortunate than other times. But for the February uh, season, we have uh, we decided actually to have four uh, episodes with four different guests and four interviews. Because the theme, of course, would be uh, erotism and, and sensuality storytelling. And I would like to anticipate just one little one. This is not little at all because <laughs> we had the, the incredible honor to have with us the world-known literature and feminist icon, Erica Jong, someone who with her books definitely changed the way that we perceive the storytelling of a woman's sensuality and romance. So I'm so looking forward to interviewing her. Yeah, no, that sounds really awesome. Do Love. you know Erica Jong? I don't know. Oh, no, okay. but just from that introduction, I'm... <laughs> yeah. It sounds like love is in the air. As we come to the end of our episode, for all of you who are listening, any questions and comments you have can be shared on our website, www.creativepoisn.com, mm-hmm. or on our Facebook page, at Creative Poisson, and Instagram account, at Creative underscore on. Don't forget to follow this incredible team of people in their exploration of creativity and storytelling. It's addictive. <laughs> <laughs> so now there's only one thing left to say. Right. Re- ready, ready, set, set imagine. imagine.